And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that woke up this morning as I did, not really having the best morning, kind of different little things happening here and there, Lord, I just pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would give them a focus on you today and that they would walk from the service today closer to you than they came in. Thank you for all the wonderful worship that we've heard this morning. Thank you for the praise band and just the amazing worship they led us in. Thank you for the specials that we heard this morning. Thank you for all that you're doing in and through our lives. Father, thank you for just your grace that when we have those rough mornings, when we have those days that we feel like we're under attack, we can trust in you. And so, Lord, again, open our hearts and minds to your word today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are continuing our series this morning uh, entitled Christmas Stories. We're in week four of our series, Christmas Stories, and we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, last week, many of you were here for our Christmas musical. Uh, we had our children's Christmas musical and some of our adults as well were in that. Uh, what a tremendous, tremendous job they did. Um, I think that day we had so many people signing up for DVDs and all of that. So if you would like a DVD, you can still pick one of those up or sign up for one rather to pick one up. Um, I think the cost is like five bucks. So you can get one of those, sign up today and you won't want to miss out on that. Um, This morning I want to spend our time together talking about the wonder of the true story of Christmas. The wonder of the true story of Christmas. Look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. Luke 2 and verse 25. And behold there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do uh, for him after the custom of the law, Then took he up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen the salvation which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. I want to step back for just a moment and see who this man Simeon was in the text. This man Simeon is described as just and devout. Now in the day of Jesus's birth and and his life as he lived on earth, a lot of the Jewish followers were not just or devout. In fact, when Jesus is of age and begins to do his public ministry and he's about 30 years old and he's ministering and he's performing miracles and he's teaching, one of the biggest groups that opposed him were the Jews, the religious, the ones that should have known were some of the ones that opposed him the greatest. And as this is happening, we see that these Jewish people were not really following the law of the Lord or following the Lord's leading. They were following their own desires. We even see later in the life of Christ, the Pharisees desired to kill Jesus so strongly, they were willing to work with the Romans who they hated because they were so tired of Jesus and what he was teaching and the authority and the power he was taking away from them. And so here we see this man, Simeon, being described as a just and devout man is not the normal situation God identifies him as basically righteous in his sight. And so let's just stop for a minute and realize that God notices the kind of life that we live. That God is aware of the details of our life. And here's the beauty of it. He says in Christ, in grace, that you are set free to live the life you were meant to live. 
And that when Jesus looks on you, he doesn't see you as a sinner saved by grace. The Bible describes you, and we've talked about this through our study of the book of Ephesians a few weeks ago. He says, you are a saint, a child of God, beloved, son and daughter. Nowhere after conversion do we read that Christ identifies us as as a sinner. It's the enemy, it's Satan himself or our flesh that tries to remind us of our past sin. Try to beat us down with who we used to be. But Jesus, in the word of God, he's constantly reminding us of who we can be in Christ. Who we are in Christ. So that's the beauty of grace. I was just listening to this little video clip I saw. It was on Facebook. Matt Chandler was sharing some thoughts about, uh, about grace. And he quoted someone. I don't remember who, the quote, who he quoted. I don't remember the quote in, in fullness. But I remember the point of it was amazing. The idea was basically that grace really can't take hold in our life until we finally realize there's no one keeping a spiritual checklist on us. And what I mean is this, God's not in heaven going, okay, yep, you did that, oh, you read your Bible, okay, you're good, okay, you're good, oh, nope, I'm going to take my grace away because you didn't do what you're supposed to do today. See, when we really understand grace, it's understanding that God's love and mercy is poured out on us, not for what we do, but for what he did on the cross of Calvary. Now, when we receive Christ, we receive his grace, we live in that grace. Now, let me say this. It doesn't mean we just do whatever we want. Because, again, God is concerned with the details of our life. God is concerned about the small things in our life. You don't want to miss it. In a couple of weeks, the first week of January, we're going to start a brand new series, Small Things, Big Difference. Small Things, Big Difference. And I don't want to give you too much about it, but you don't want to miss the series we're going to kick off 2019 with, because I'm telling you, the small things make the big difference. But here we understand that Jesus doesn't just throw these adjectives out there of this man just kind of haphazardly. He knew his heart. And he says, I identify this man as just and devout. He loves God. And I'm so thankful that when the world doesn't notice, and when others don't notice, that God notices And when you're walking with him, you may think you're missing out on something. You may think you're losing out on something. I'm telling you right now, the closer you get to him, the more you'll understand what it is to really live life. And that's what it means to follow Christ. So it's not a spiritual checklist. We're trying to impress God with our spiritual resume. You can't impress him. We talked about this a few weeks ago on Sunday evening with the the Pharisee and the tax collector in the temple. And they were praying to God. Jesus told this story and the parable goes something like this, that the the Pharisee gave God our spiritual resume. Look at all the things I've done. Look at how much I go to church. Look at how much I, I fast. Look at all the things I've done. Thank you for not making me like these others, specifically this guy over here. And then you get to the tax collector, the publican in the King James, and he says, then his prayer is simple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Wouldn't even pick up his head to heaven. You see, sometimes we get so caught up in the trying to impress God We're forgetting that we can't impress him. We just need his mercy and his grace. And once you receive that grace, you can live in that grace, not fearful of trying to keep God happy so you don't lose your salvation, but walking in the freedom that that brings. And no fear in Christ. And again, it doesn't mean we live however we want and we do whatever we want. There's there's this teaching in Christianity today. It's called hyper-grace movement. Literally it is, you can sin as much as you want because grace covers all sin. Now, Paul seems to go kind of against that way of thinking by saying that should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 
So it's not that we do whatever we want. We realize that as we're following Christ, when we trip, when we fall, when we fail, we get back up in his grace and we move on. And we enjoy the relationship we have with him. This man, Simeon, was a righteous and faithful follower of God. And God rewarded him with the opportunity to see the Messiah before he departed. And he says here that basically now I can, I can go now. After he sees Messiah and he holds him in his arms, he says, I can go now. I'm good. I can depart. The word depart here, we always think it just means die. I can die now. And that is what the, the word originally means. But in the Greek language, it means also many other things, all of which speak to the joy of the believer and what he or she finds in knowing Christ and having that rest. Listen to what the Greek word depart means and what Simeon is saying he can now do because he's seen Christ. It means to release a prisoner. It means to untie a ship and set sail. Isn't that awesome? Simeon says, now that I've seen Christ, I've seen Messiah, I'm at such rest and peace that I can untie my ship and just set sail. I'm free. I'm no longer a prisoner. I can go from this world. I can have rest and comfort. Simeon understood that he was at complete rest and peace now that he laid eyes on the Messiah. There is nothing he needed more in this life than to see the Messiah. He was ready to go. Now, it doesn't say that he died instantly. Sometimes we think almost like Simeon was this old man, and he was at the end of his life, and God showed him Christ, and then he went out and he died a couple days later. It's not, it doesn't say that. He could have lived 50 more years for all we know. The point in Simeon's praise was, I don't need anything else in life. I am at complete rest. Man, isn't that amazing? I remember when I was engaged to Sandra. And I, I, you know, I, would, I would think about you know, either going home to be with the Lord or the Lord returning. And I remember thinking, Lord, I, I know you can return whenever you want because you're God. You can do whatever you want. But if you could just wait till after August 5th, 2005. If you could just give me like a month being married, that would be awesome. And I'm not saying I need that, but that would be great, Lord. I mean, just, if you could just hold off a little bit. And we do this a lot. We think, I, we look forward to these things, and we think we need these things. We want to see these things. Simeon says, man, there's nothing else I need to see in life. Everything I could ever wanted is fulfilled in seeing this child, Messiah. I mean, think about how how desperately he longed for Messiah, that that was the fulfillment he got from just seeing him. How much did he desire every moment to see Messiah? It tells us in the text, in verse 25, when it starts to tell the story, it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means Christ, waiting for Messiah. He is desiring it so badly Actually, customs tell us and culture tells us that many Jewish rabbis or Jewish religious leaders would pray to see the Messiah. They would pray, may I be the one that sees Messiah? And they would desire it. Some maybe just kind of flippantly, just kind of in a religious motion. But Simeon honestly hungered for it. He craved for it. He wanted the presence of Christ so badly in his life. And this is where I have to step back and do a little self-evaluation and say, I have all of Christ available to me right now. I have all of his teaching available to me in this word right now. Do I actually hunger for that? Do I, desire, do I crave it more than anything else? Is it the first thing I want to see when I wake up in the morning is, is see something from God in my life? 
Is that the first person I want to talk to when my eyes open for the first time in the morning is to talk to my Savior because he's everything. What does Paul say in Colossians? That Jesus is not just part of our life as followers of Christ. He is life. And he is life. That means everything is for him. Everything is about him. And do we hunger in that way? Again, not because I have to, to keep him happy so I can stay saved, but because I just desire time with him. Simeon was a man that desired that time. I want to look at, just for a few moments, not only this man, Simeon, but I want to look at what does he testify about Jesus Christ? What does he say about him? The first thing we have to note that Simeon testifies of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is salvation. Jesus is salvation. Look at verse 31 of Luke chapter 2. It says here, which thou hast prepared before, I'm sorry, yeah, before people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Verse 30, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. My eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. The first thing I have to note about this salvation that Jesus brings is it is obvious. It's obvious. God did not come in secret. God did not come privately with nobody aware of what was going on. It was announced by hundreds of years of prophecy and the declaration of a multitude of angels. Simeon beheld his glory, the glory of God in his helpless baby. Simeon beheld the glory of God in the child Jesus. He says, this is your salvation. This is the power of God. One commentator said it this way, and I thought it was amazing. One commentator said that it was prior faith rewarded by present sight. Prior faith rewarded by present sight. This man had faith in the unseen, so God decided to reward him with his faith being made sight. This is such a powerful faith because we read when Christ grows and begins to minister, many will see the God-man and reject his glory and deny him. Think about that for a moment. Simeon had prophecy and a desire and a faith that God would reward. And he ends up being rewarded with sight. He didn't see Jesus do one thing. No miracle, no testimony, no prophecy, no nothing. He just saw Jesus, the baby. And God showed him, this is your faith made sight. Jesus is going to grow into a man, going to do miracles and testify and prophesy and teach and walk on water and all these things. And people will still deny that he is who he says he is. Simeon saw none of that and believed. And so to me, the encouragement is this, that we need to have the same kind of faith today. Here's the reality. I, don't, I can't see Jesus like the disciples did. And I've said this before. Some people think if I could just sit at the feet of Jesus, then I would follow him more adamantly. If I could just hear Jesus' words audibly spoken to me, and Jesus is there physically in the flesh, and I could touch him, I can sit with him, I could eat with him, and then that would make a difference in my life. But that's not faith. Faith says, no, 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 no. I have by faith a belief that this is the word of God. And every time I sit before this word, I'm sitting before the person of Jesus Christ. 
and he's teaching me and instructing me. I can sit with him in prayer and and the presence of God is in my life. You see, Simeon didn't need all the miracles, all the wonders, all the works to believe. He believed because he believed in God's word. I mean, think about that. He put all his faith in the word of God in the Old Testament. We've said this before. What is it that Satan tried to tempt Eve to deny in the garden? It was the word of God. Did God really say? I mean, God really didn't. Then he says, not only did God really say, well, God didn't really mean that. That's always a good one. Right? You ever talk to somebody that's trying to justify sin in their life? And you lay the word of God before them in a loving and humble way. And they go, well, I don't think that's what God's word means there. Well, it says thou shalt not commit adultery. So that's pretty obvious. Thou shalt not commit murder. So if you want to kill your neighbor, you're also supposed to love them. So I can't justify that with scripture. I was just listening to a pastor say that he was, he was shocked by the advice that sometimes Christians give other Christians. Just the just the insane advice that people give. And he said he was talking to a man that said, I really am not sure what to do. God is, God isn't leading me like he once was. And and so the pastor says, well, and this is out in Wisconsin. He says, well, tell me what brought you to Wisconsin in the first place. He said, well, I moved here to live with a woman who's married. And the pastor looks at him for a minute and says, and you're a Christian. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And your whole reason for moving here was to move in with this woman who's already married. Yes. Did you ask anybody about this before you did this decision? Oh, yeah, yeah. I talked to a bunch of my Christian friends back at wherever, and they all just said, well, if God says you should do it, if God's saying it, then you should do it. And it just blew me away. He said he just kind of spent some time with them with the word of God and prayed with them and loved on them. And the guy finally woke up and said, this is wrong. I need to, I need to go back home. I need to get out of this situation. But so often, the word of God is so clear, and we think, no, I don't think that's really what it means, or that's not really what it's saying, because we don't like what it says. See, if you put your faith and trust in the word of God, then you got to put your faith and trust in the word of God. I'm not saying there's not areas that are a little harder to understand in Scripture. I'm not saying there's passages that I still don't understand, and maybe never will. But there's also very clear Scriptures in here that tell us this is what God desires for us. You see, Simeon was a man that gave himself to the word of God. He didn't need all the miracles before him. He had the word of God in him. But not only is Jesus salvation and that it's obvious, it is also for all people. It is for all people. This is the part of the testimony from Simeon that stands out in the culture. Simeon, a devout Jewish man standing on the steps of the temple in Jerusalem, declares that the birth of Christ is for all peoples. All peoples. We should praise God for that, by the way. You should be extremely thankful that God didn't just keep salvation to the Jewish people. That God decided for Gentiles like us to come to know Christ. You should be extremely thankful for that. Simeon, on the steps of the temple, with Jewish worshipers all around, declares a missionary song of Christ. Last week we talked about the first Christmas song being the praise song of Mary before the birth of Christ. Here we see Simeon crying out with the last song, if you will, or Christmas song in the Gospel of Luke. And it's a missions song. Christ came to the world to give his life for the world. For any and all who would believe they can be saved. 
maybe you didn't hear that part. That's okay. It's, you know, I get it. It's, I'm going kind of quick here. I've got some ibuprofen in me, so I'm going a little faster, okay? It's getting a little warm up here, too. So if I start sweating, just, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? Just go with that. Do you realize that Jesus Christ will receive anyone who cries out to him? Social status, financial status, race, gender, doesn't matter. How you grew up, foster home, adopted, had great parents, had horrible parents. If you cry out to him, he will receive you just as you are. And here's the greater blessing than that. It's awesome he'll receive us just as we are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And he'll grow you and mature you and show you things. And he'll take you through places that you probably don't want to go. He'll take you down roads you probably don't want to experience. But I promise you he'll go with you and he'll grow you through it. To make you more like him. You see, Simeon understood that Jesus came not just for one people group, but for all people groups. That we can take the message of Christ to everyone. The message is clear And it is a light into the spiritual darkness of the world. Simeon goes on to say, not just is it obvious and for all people, he talks about the light of Christ. Look at verse 32. And a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. He will shine to the Gentiles a light and to Israel. For a little over 400 years, God was silent between the Testaments. There was no prophet, no word from God. And then 400 years, over 400 years later, a baby's cry broke the silence. That baby in a manger changed everything. Christ had come to give a message of grace and truth. The truth is that we can all repent of our sin, and we all need to repent of our sin and trust in his grace. His grace was in the coming and an act of great compassion. The compassion of Christ for the whole world is one of the major themes of the Gospel of Luke. It was an act of great compassion. And I was trying to think, what's an illustration that would demonstrate this? And the only thing I can think of is, like a light turned on in a dark room in the morning. How many of us enjoy that first thing in the morning? You're kind of groggy. Maybe your spouse gets up a little bit before you because they're a morning person and you're trying not to kill someone. Just saying. I mean, it's an illustration. I'm not saying us personally. I'm just saying as illustration, someone may be like this. And they click that light on. Now it's all LED, so it's like even brighter. Amen? Preach. See, at first, the light can be what? It's almost offensive. If you have a teenager or you've raised teenagers, the light is offensive to them. Okay? They act like, I don't know, they've lived in a dungeon their whole life. And God, it's so bright. Turn it off. Okay? Exactly. Just like that. Just like that. And like that light can be offensive in the beginning. But let's be honest. Is the light beneficial or harmful? It's beneficial. See, it's offensive at first. It, it's shocking at first. It's, it's almost painful at first. But once your eyes adjust to the lights, you start to see the benefit of having the light on. So you don't smash your foot into a dresser or into the end of the bed or whatever else is in your room that all of a sudden you forget was there and you run into it. 
See, the light can be offensive at first, but the more you realize, wait, I need the light to show me the way to walk. I need the light to make it so I can understand and see clearly what I need to do. See, this is the light that Jesus brought. And how is Jesus' light first received? The, the Gospels make it very clear. They rejected the light because they loved their sin and they didn't want it to be exposed. But then there's those who do welcome the light in and find what? Abundant life. Eternal life. To me, we need to understand that Christ desires that we see clearly the spiritual realities of eternity. And he is compassionate enough to give us time to repent or rather time for our eyes to adjust to the light. He is a light to the Gentiles, a light to Israel. But that light comes at a cost. That light comes at a cost. Look at verse 33. Luke chapter 2 and verse 33. Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So as you're reading through this passage, and you're reading through this testimony, everything is great. Everything is good. It's positive. It's encouraging. He's a light. He's salvation. It's obvious. He's gracious. He's loving. And if you're Mary and Joseph, you're hearing this and you're thinking back and you're thinking, man, this is an amazing gift that we've been given. And as they're marveling at those things, Simeon says, a prophecy. See, everything is great and positive and good to this point. But then he gets to verse 35 and they hear that a sword will pierce through Mary's own soul. See, all of a sudden, the, the testimony and the prophecy take a turn. As you're reading through the passage, you're all excited and thinking, this is great. And then you read these words and you're thinking, what's this about? Or what's this turn about in the passage? The phrase, will pierce, brings the idea of not just one time, but actually being pierced through many, many times. Specifically with a large Sword. The only reference I could find in studying the words and the phrasing out would be a sword like that of Goliath from the Old Testament. That large sword piercing through over and over and over again. And Simeon says to Mary in verse 35, Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. We read later in the Gospels that Mary is brokenhearted at the foot of the cross. This is a burden, Simeon says, only she will bear. We know Christ bared his cross and went to the cross and despised in the shame. And he was beaten and murdered for our sin. But we, we don't always stop and reflect back on the mother of Christ. She's at the foot of the cross, weeping. See, Simeon doesn't just stop at the good things. He says, listen, there's going to be something that's coming that you're not going to look forward to. It's not something you want. And it's not that it's necessarily words of encouragement and comforting news to Mary, but it is great and glorious news to the gospel. Because, see, if he doesn't go to the cross and her heart isn't broken, there is no gospel. There is no forgiveness. 
Because, see, he can't rise again if he was never crucified. Jesus gave all that he had. He took on flesh and dwelt among us so that we could go to, so that he could go to the cross and give himself as a sacrifice for sin for all who would believe. It's interesting to note here that Simeon, when he's quoting this prophecy or giving this prophecy to Mary and Joseph, he specifically says, Mary will have the sword pierced through her. He doesn't really speak to Joseph in the situation. And many believe that that either means that Joseph died at some point later on. Uh, that's why he's not really on the Gospels when Jesus comes to be, or in the Gospels when Jesus is on his earthly ministry after 30. But Simeon makes a point of pointing out to Mary, this is what's coming. So I want you to think for a moment. Fast forward 30 years, 33 years. And as he's on that cross, Mary is reminding herself of these things. And I think she was brokenhearted, but I think also she was pretty excited. And he would say, how can someone be excited for this? Because I think she understood the big picture that if he was dying on that cross, yes, it hurts, but it wasn't the end. It wasn't the end. He was going to rise again. As we celebrate this amazing birth of Christ on Tuesday morning, I pray that we will not stop at the manger, but see that the life of Christ took him to the cross. Simeon also tells Mary that the nation of Israel will stumble over Jesus. They would have to make a choice to receive him as Messiah or reject him. But they cannot deny he is there. It is obvious to them. And so my challenge to us this morning is a similar one. You can reject Jesus or you can accept Jesus, but you can't deny Jesus is who he said he was. You can reject Jesus or you can accept Jesus, but you can't deny that he lived that he died on that cross, and that he rose again on the third day. And you have a choice to make this morning. And the choice is not just simply, do I want to go to heaven or do I not want to go to hell? The choice is, am I willing to submit and surrender everything to Christ by faith? Not based on what I see him doing in my life or not doing, but just because the word of God declares it, I'm going to put faith in Christ and respond to him in obedience the greatest gift that you can give Jesus Christ this Christmas season is your own life in surrender. Because the greatest thing he ever gave you was his life in sacrifice. And if he sends his life or gives his life in sacrifice, then you can give your life in surrender. And so my challenge to us this morning is simple. How are we going to respond to the wonder of the story of the Christmas truth? That Christ came he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on a sinless cross, was buried in a bottle tomb, and rose again the third day. How am I going to respond to that today? How am I going to put my faith in Christ today? Or am I trusting in myself? Am I trusting in what I can do and what I see happening around me? Or am I trusting in the truth of God to say that, listen, I don't need to see it to believe it. I trust. So you can deny him, and reject him, or you can accept him, but you can't deny the fact that he is who he said he was. And so how will you respond today to the truth of God's word? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? As you bow right there where you are, I just want to encourage you to take some time this morning. To ask God how you can respond.
Christmas is such a wonderful time of the year. We get to celebrate that Christ came to us. Emmanuel, God with us. And that when we need him, he is there for us. That his presence lives within us through his Holy Spirit. And so if you're here and you know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, I would ask, how are you going to respond to him this morning? What is the gift that you're going to give him this morning? Because I can tell you the gift that he desires more than anything else is just you, just as you are. If you don't know Christ this morning, you've never received him as your Lord and personal Savior, maybe you've gone to church a lot. Maybe you were baptized as a child. Maybe you went through classes when you got older. Maybe you've done good things, been a good person. You pay your bills. You you live a good life. But if you were honest today between you and God, right there with your heads bowed, you would admit that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That you don't know him personally for yourself. Let me tell you, it is obvious to the world that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. And the reason it's obvious is because God wanted it to be obvious. He wanted the message to be plain so that anyone can receive. And so if you're here and you don't know Christ, maybe this morning you would right there in your heart cry out to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Repent of those things. Trust in him. And surrender your life to him. Whatever God is doing in your life this morning, I pray that you'd respond. And if nothing else, I pray that you would know that grace has set us free. That grace brought Jesus to that manger. And grace took him to the cross. And so today, may we live in grace, free of fear, enjoying the love of God for us, and desiring to be followers of Christ, not just in word, but in deed. Father, may you be glorified in all these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the praise band leads us in a song of praise? If you'd like to respond this morning, you can come and pray at the altar. Maybe spend some time with the Lord as an individual, as a couple. Maybe you want to come and pray. Whatever God is doing, would you respond to him this morning as we sing?